Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Shihan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Shihan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Shihan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Okay, another Friday, episode 68. Here we are plowing forward with this. Again, as I uh, mentioned before, we actually officially signed on. Uh, it's just me this time. Uh, Shidoshi White is in the process of a, of a life change, not like he's getting a divorce or dying or anything like that. Uh, he's uh, uh, in the process of uh, the whole new job thing. And it's not just that, but he this will, re- this will be requiring him to move across the country back, well, not exactly close enough to train weekly at the dojo, but uh, he'll still he'll be on the East Coast rather than the West Coast. So uh, we're looking forward to that, and uh, I hope he does well. <clears throat> Until then, it's us. So uh, I have a couple of questions that uh, came in or topics that came up. Um, one, uh, one is something I came up with uh, just because I, I keep seeing a lot of things, and, and we're still still in that realm in the world where, uh, you know, anything ninja is cool, and so people have come up with their own little ideas about what these things are. We're going to talk about that. I have a question in from Roman, uh, actually comparing ninjutsu versus military martial arts training and some details with that. And then uh, one of my guys uh, locally here, Chris, uh, he had asked me a, a couple of questions here recently in class. One uh, I handled with my long-distance group, uh, my personal students, this morning. Uh, and so we're going to continue on with that just a little bit and um, really use this as an example to talk about the problem with guessing about what something really means in the art or, you know, using suppositions, uh, things like that. So we'll, we'll get back to that. But uh, let's see. Um, so if you have any questions, obviously if you're on live on the call, uh, we'll kind of open things up to that uh, after I get through uh, the guys who are up first, Roman and Chris. Um, I'll hold my topic off uh, a little bit uh, to see if anybody else has anything. So if you're live, uh, and you're actually on a phone, I'll uh, open things up to you uh, here in a bit. And then uh, those of you who are uh, on the webcast side, you can use this time to uh, to submit questions either about the topic that I'm currently uh, uh, focusing on, and you can ask questions or make comments about that, and I'll get to them as I can. It's just me, though, so I'm, I'm going to have to do the bouncing back and forth through all the, all the uh, production stuff over here that uh, Shoshi White normally does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I'll handle those, and what I'll try to do is answer the questions um, that have to do with the topic at hand so that we can keep everything together on the recording, and then uh, I'll get to other things, and then we'll, we'll insert those as, uh, as we need to. Those who are asking topics that are different from what I already have, so it's a brand-new question, then uh, I will take those uh, after I handle Chris's question. Okay, so uh, I don't want to zip through this uh, super, super fast, but uh, we do stand to have uh, quite a few 
questions and topics today. So let's do this. A uh, quick admin announcement. Don't forget that we have uh, our fall, our annual fall need to sue camp uh, coming up. We've been doing these things, wow, since um, somewhere in the 90s or way early 90s, right? Uh, we do one of these things a year. We do one in the spring, one in the fall, and then we do our dichomiosi, uh seminar in uh, usually the first week, week and a half of January, depending on how the days fall. Uh, and I know that everybody does that. Dichomiosi in, in the Budokan is that thing that we talk about with uh, celebrating Hatsumisete's birthday. And I get that. Um, I, I think that people fail to – well, I, I know everybody wants to do it the quote-unquote quote, right way, um, but – then they complain that there's not a big turnout to their events anymore. And we have to realize that there was once a time, once upon a time in the world of Nijitsu, uh, when I first got started, uh, there were three Americans in the Western world teaching this stuff, okay? And I had a choice. I could go to Ohio. I could go to Atlanta, Georgia. So Dayton, Ohio. I could go to Atlanta, Georgia. Or I could go to, I can't remember the exact name, um, but it was in, that's when Jack Coburn was in California. And then he moved to the East Coast. He moved to New Jersey. So uh, he took up or started training or teaching in, uh, in Red Bank, New Jersey. Everything else was, you know, uh, across the pond or it was, he had to go to Japan or whatever. And then there came a time, so I could count how many Shidoshi there were. Yes, we weren't even using the term Shihan at that time. If it was being used, it was only directed toward and used uh, to uh, signify uh, Manaka Shihan, who then, uh, you know, left the Khan and formed the Jinankan. So, uh, but anyway, so there was a time when I kind of ran out of things and I couldn't tell you how many Shidoshi there were across the country, let alone across the world, right? And then there came a time where I couldn't tell you how many Shidoshi there were up and down the east coast of the U.S., then there came a time when I couldn't tell you how many Shidoshi there were in the state of Pennsylvania where I lived, okay? So what this means strategically is that um, people have more and more choices about which seminar they're going to go to by another Shidoshi that's holding the same thing, commemorating the same thing, maybe the topic's different or whatever, um, but, you know, everybody wants to hold it around Hatsumi Sensei's birthday, which is when it's held in Japan, but we have a problem, right? There's lots of supply, but you still only have a finite number of students, so obviously they're going to go somewhere else, right? Not that I'm trying to pull more and more people to uh, my seminars, but one of the things that we tagged down as, as being a problem for attendance was, how uh, do birthday is December 3rd, right? So that's right between our major holidays of Thanksgiving and Christmas. So... You know, either people are tapped out or there's family things or there's just all this, you know, hubbub with getting ready or just getting caught up in the holiday season. So we just decided to shift it a little bit and not only celebrate Hatsumi-sensei's birthday, um, secondarily, mine's in there as well, but uh, it also gave us a chance to use it as a uh, focusing and goal-setting kind of thing for the new year. So we just moved ourselves or moved hours a month to get through the Christmas uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year kind of thing, and then as a way to kick off, yes, pun intended, uh, the training, uh, you know, kind of as a fresh start. So uh, 
anyway, so those are our, our base things that we do on a regular basis. Uh, but this one this year, the fall camp is, um, for those of you who missed the dates already, um, it is October 20th and 21st. And uh, normally we do a Friday evening thing. Uh, all I did this time is there's still a Friday evening thing. We just didn't make it part of the the overall theme, which is the magic within Ninja 2. And what we'll be looking at is the the cycle of the psychology and all the stuff that really affects and manipulates um, your opponent's perceptions of things, um, so that literally things can come out of nowhere and it just you know it, it ups your advantage. Um, but these things are also used by professional magicians and illusionists and things like that because they just flat out work. Okay. Um, so some of this stuff we'll be pointing out. Some of it will be just kind of showing you that, look, this is already built into the way your techniques are, are structured. So you can either have it happen accidentally or you can recognize it, understand what's going on, and use it intentionally, even if you're not using given, you know, specific techniques. So anyway, we're doing that. But the Friday evening, uh, we're still having one, but it's a closed-door session for any of the black belts or instructors, uh, people that want to be instructors or whatever that are coming in so that I can share some uh, some tactics and, and things that we use uh, for the what used to be a training group, you know, has been a dojo for a long time, uh, to um, get, keep, and um, help students get what they need, right, without watering down the art, without, uh, you know, doing something wild and crazy or creating some kind of a hybrid uh, MMA needed to tic-tac-toe, whatever, okay? So if you can make it in for that, that'd be great. Uh, we'll give you the the uh, URL. Uh, you just send us a message if you want that, and we'll send it over to the page uh, and on the website, and uh, you can get signed up. That'd be great. Right now we have we have about a dozen and a half signed up, so about 18 people. Uh, so there's still a little bit of room. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if you can make it in for that, that'd be great. And um, I'll also be doing another – this is a single day plus Friday, so it's a, it's a Friday night, Saturday uh, event. I'm actually doing this one in uh, Indiana. So if you're in the, if you're in the Mideast, uh, I'll be doing this uh, uh, near a town called Knightsville. Knightstown? Knightstown, sorry. Knightstown. I should probably get my details right and pull my stuff here because – my guy, uh, Steve Davis, and I were just going over more of the details um, yesterday, as a matter of fact. So let me see here. I didn't, I didn't bring my headset, so I have to make sure I stay centered and close to, uh, to my phone here. But anyway, so this is the 16th and 17th of November. So it's the evening of the 16th and then all day on the 17th. And, again, we're um, in or around Knightstown, uh, Indiana, and so uh, we're using this to kind of kick off his new training group, and uh, it'll be fun. I, I haven't done anything in that area, so this will be cool. So what we're doing is Friday evening, uh, and I know this is going to sound like old hat, right, but uh, we're focusing on Ninja Basics. We're going to be focusing on the Sanshin. And before you roll your eyes, because you already know the Sanshin and all that, uh, the perspective we're taking on this or the focus is uh, looking at it historically from a weapons-based perspective, uh, uh, background or, or uh, tactic kind of thing or set of models, right, for weapons training and how that then morphed into the unarmed things that we have, all right? So we're going to be looking at how those models um, 
are exactly the same regardless if we have a weapon in our hand or whatever. So we'll probably be focusing on like a long staff um, spear halberd kind of idea and then looking at how it, um, it it shifts back from there. And you can do this with uh, with most of your kamai, but, but that's the focus for Friday evening. And then Saturday, um, he's a minister, so Sunday's, uh, Sunday's out. So we're going to do a Saturday, and uh, the focus is on ninja weapons and tactics. So we'll be focusing on the hanbo, the, the half-staff, the kasari, the weighted chain, uh, some knife defense, uh, including knife on knife, unarmed against the knife, and then hanbo, since we have that available, hanbo against the knife. Uh, and then we're going to be doing some gun defense. Um, and But the premise on the gun defense is from the perspective of what if he already has his out first? So you're carrying, but what if he has his out first? Okay, which is a topic that I don't think people put enough effort into or attention into because uh, they either think of, you know, if I'm not armed, I'm going to whoop his ass and, you know, take care of things that way. And if I am armed, well, that's easy. I'm going to pull and shoot him, uh, except for when he already has his out because it's just real easy. It's just easier for him to pull the trigger than it is for you to right? – and it's faster, right, for him to do that than it is for you to go from nothing to draw – muzzle online and be able to engage the target. So uh, we're going to be looking at, at it from that direction. And uh, so that would be cool, right? So uh, we're working on getting the uh, Facebook event page up and the uh, information and registration page. So that should be up here um, no later than probably Monday or Tuesday, and then people will be able to uh, sign up. So if you're in the Indiana area or the Knightstown area or the bordering states where it's just it's easier for you to get to that than it is to get into one of the things here that I'm doing in East Central Pennsylvania, then uh, by all means. Uh, and then the last thing I want to say about that is, uh, you know, if, if uh, you've been dying to come in for one of these things and logistics just don't work out or whatever, um, you know, you can do the same thing Steve did, uh, and this goes back to the whole, you know, if Muhammad can't go to the mountain, bring the mountain to Muhammad. Um, so if you want to set something up or you want to discuss that and how it would work, uh, we can get on, and on the uh, on the phone and talk about that, okay? So uh, fall camp in October, 20th and 21st, and then, uh, like I said, I'll be in uh, Knightstown, Indiana, uh, the 16th and 17th of, uh, what is that was? November, that's it, November, okay? So uh, awesome. All right, so let's jump into this. Uh, I had a question come in. Uh, actually earlier uh, today on the Kuden page from Roman. He's one of my uh, local black belts. And um, the question is really about um, a comparison of Nijutsu versus military martial arts training. So we're talking about the training side, uh, but specifically length of time and flexibility of techniques. Okay, so length of time and flexibility of techniques. Okay. So uh, I, I'm not going to be going into specific eras in history. I may mention uh, just this as a kind of a side uh, thing that, that things were different at different times. But, um, and, again, we're only going to be able to scratch the surface with this because this is, look, this would take a lot of study. I mean, and this is where uh, the study of history and the different strategies and tactics and mindsets and, you know, uh, reading not just the Art of War, but also the commentary on the Art of War. Sometimes you can find those two books together. Uh, you, you can tell the difference. The Art of War is really, really tiny. And uh, the one with the comparison in it, I can't remember the name of the author, um, but uh, he was also a warrior later on where he, com uh, 
he did a commentary on the art of war and then added his own uh, thoughts to it as well. So things like this to understand uh, the mindset and the, the the reasons for things being done the way they are. Okay. Um, we also need to understand that obviously there's a different mindset going on. Okay. So uh, I'm going to jump around here a little bit because again we only have a little bit of time, so I want to throw just a, a, enough nuggets at you so that you can start your own uh, research. And um, uh, this is something I've been I just started here recently with my own long-distance students, instead of just drilling down super deep all the time, sometimes what I do is I throw out a lesson that I know has enough holes in it or enough breadcrumbs for you to chase, follow, or, or go down or whatever that should actually spark more questions. And if it doesn't, then somebody's not paying attention, okay? And this idea actually comes from Mikio where uh, any answer – should produce more questions. An answer that just dead ends with that, either because, well, if, if an answer dead ends and there's no questions after that, then one of two things have occurred. Either the student isn't ready for the answer, so comprehension isn't taking place, but they're just going to let it go, right? Or, uh, uh, or the uh, the question was a bad question, okay? So it's just, it was, it, there wasn't enough to it. There wasn't enough of anything to point you in any direction, okay? Uh, because from our Miko perspective, enlightenment is in the, uh, is in the questions, not in the answers. So any answer should spark more questions, okay? So I'm trying to embed things that way so that my students can be more proactive, Okay, because if you're not doing that, then if you're not if you're not on a path of learning, then you're just it's like a a kid running around during an Easter egg hunt, and they're just trying to fill the basket. But when that's all done, all they're gonna do is open the plastic eggs and pull out the money or the candy or whatever, um, and the regular eggs, right? The things that they spend all this time going for. Uh, they get their prize if they had enough or if everybody wins, right, which I'm just not a big fan of. Um, and then, you know, the eggs go back to mom and dad. They pack away the plastic ones for next year, and the uh, the regular ones, the real ones, uh, may turn into uh, garbage can fodder. They may turn into uh, egg salad. They may turn whatever, right? Uh, but the kid doesn't care at that point, right? They just collected the things they set out to collect. They got their prize, and they went on, okay? So if that's the case, then – you know, it's kind of different, right, as opposed to getting an egg and trying to figure out how many different things you can do with that egg, right? What's its value? And what's its value in different contexts? So, again, anyway. All right, so uh, so this one's for Roman and anybody else is kind of interested in this. So um, one of the things that has to come up first is, are we talking about wartime or not, right? Are we talking about you know, we're, we're in the heat of battle or we're in the, uh, the Sengoku Jedi Warring States period where, oh, battles were popping up left and right. Uh, your, your break time between wars might be uh, a couple of days to a week to maybe a couple of months, whatever, and then the next thing's popping up, depending on what the lord that you're uh, attached to, right, that just has going on. Are we defending the territory? Are we trying to conquer other areas? Uh, what, what's going on, okay? And the reason for this is if you look at 
some of the uh, even if you just look in, in some of the, the books that Hudson said they uh, yes Stephen Hayes and some of these other guys have written that discuss uh, that have little quotes from from scrolls and, and talk about uh, goals uh, in Ninjutsu, uh being able to disappear in the eyes of your enemy uh, being able to distract and control the minds of others and all that right this kind of stuff takes a lot of time to develop, right? A lot of skills, right? A lot of practice time. It takes, it can take a lifetime to develop these kind of things where you end up with what in Sanskrit would be called CDs, right? Or magical powers. Not magical, they just go beyond what everybody else can do. It takes a lot of time, okay? Um, but during a wartime, okay, the ninja actually to produce more agents more quickly just like any other military school would do, right? What they had to do was find shortcuts, okay? So do I do something that is kind of, I don't know, quote-unquote magical that distracts him or gets him to look right through me or I can I can do something that is, is one of these sight remover kind of things where I can disappear, right? And I don't mean like physically disappear, but you get the idea, right? Um, or I can develop something like Matsubishi, okay, the blinding powder. Okay? Blinding powder was developed as a way to create this smoke screen or haze or whatever that you'd be develop that you'd be creating psychologically. And I know sometimes this gets really difficult to understand because, and I'm not saying that anybody on this show comes from this mindset, but I know you've talked to somebody like this or seen how they talk on Facebook or whatever, right? But the Naruto, the Naruto guys who need things to be magical, right? They need it to be like it looks in the cartoons or in the old ninja movies where you throw down this this ball and it explodes and there's a suddenly a room full of smoke and everything, which was not technologically possible back then. But here's this thing, right? So you create this, which creates that momentary blindness and allows the operator to get out of there, okay? That was an expedient created to give somebody the tools and skills they needed in a condensed amount of time during a time of warfare where you need to produce agents very, very quickly. And there are lots of, lots of examples of this, but this, this, this will do for the moment, okay? Um, something that would take a long time to do, right? So, um, you know, then they might develop the thing where they're, they're, uh, you know, they've created an Oni mask and they're blowing, uh, flames or, uh, whatever, right? So, uh, Again, it, it matters what time we're talking about when it comes to ninjutsu, right? For military martial arts training, um, I don't see it as that much different today as it was way back in the day, right? Military martial arts training is always about preparing an army and getting a, a specific set of skills to a given group or unit as quickly as possible. Practice and development will happen over time with practice and experience, okay? But it's quite likely that they recruit you, get you into the military, right, give you enough to do what you need to do on the front lines because the more experienced guys are going to be back, right? Uh, they're going to let you thin the lines or thin the herds and get thinned, right, in the process, Uh and then they're going to move in. That way they can strategically see what's going on, and then they can they can move from there, okay? It doesn't mean they're going to survive any longer. It just means that uh, they have more experience with it, so it's 
like privates get to go first uh, in today's military, right? New guys and the recruits and all that were just bodies to throw at the battle line that, you know, gave you more of an opportunity to thin the herd and, and take over, okay, and not expose the guys with experience to more, um, you know, more people coming at them at one time, right? Uh, so anyway, uh, so the whole idea was the longer you survived these battles, the more you got, uh, the more you became proficient with the weapon you were initially given, right? Um, and then you would have time to develop skills with other weapons. So unless you started in childhood, which is quite possible as well, uh, but we couldn't say that you were actually, well, you were, you were training for, for military-style arts, uh, just like the ninja trained for things. But remember, they were training for stealth and information gathering and quick escapes and stuff like that. So very, very different, right? The techniques and tools are different, uh, but the expedience is, you know, like in the military now, um, in eight weeks, right, what you're getting is basic uh, soldiering skills so that you can follow orders, uh, be respectful, and work as a, as a significant part of a team, but you're given just enough skills to be able to throw bullets and bombs downhill or downrange and uh, provide a body, just an, an extra body that is expendable. I mean, that's what GI stands for, right, government issue. So you're as expendable as the rest of the equipment, okay? And then the longer you stay, the more rank you get, the more proficiency you get, the more skills you can learn and pick up along the way. It's the same process, okay? So uh, when it comes to flexibility of techniques, it really depends on where you get started, okay? So while we could say that they gave the new guys the spear and the halberd and all that, again, this is where time base comes in because, or the era, because the Japanese, and, and again, this is where belief system comes in, right? Um, so flexibility is always based on not only level of proficiency, but also openness and flexibility of mind, okay? So where the ninja originally, from the very get-go, are taught to be flexible uh, mentally, to be able to come up with solutions, to be able to accomplish the mission, right? The, the bushi, Right? Well, most people would call samurai, but the term bushi actually postdates the samurai, and the word samurai meant different things, and the samurai had different jobs, again, depending on the era, right? So it's not this glory uh, uh, warrior kind of thing that people tend to fantasize about. Uh, sometimes it was, and other times you were just the bodyguard who was carrying the, the shopping boxes for the empress or whatever, right? They meant to serve. So it wasn't until the, the samurai took over and then uh, instituted the, the term bushi, right, which is basically equivalent to being a knight. Um, that's it's a different, very different mindset. But anyway, um, predating the, uh, the invasion of the Huns into Japan, okay, predating that, the Japanese didn't put a whole lot of uh, the, the general samurai bushi world didn't put a lot of uh, – of uh, importance on the spear and the halberd, okay? Um, they, prior to the Huns coming in, that was seen as a, a woman's weapon. And you still see that in Japan now during in places where they're, they're teaching uh, halberd and things like that. Um, it's still predominantly dominated by, by women, right? Uh, 
um, in many places, right? So the whole idea is the woman needs this longer weapon because the guy coming at her is probably going to have a sword or whatever. So she has this longer weapon, and she's there to defend the homestead, so she was proficient at using this thing to um, to protect uh, to, to protect herself and others from a distance, right? She needed to have an advantage over this this uh, katana or even a dachi, right? But when the Huns invaded, uh, all, their front lines were nothing but long pole arms, okay, spear, halberd, that kind of thing. And the Japanese had to had to seriously, you know, uh, figure out other tactics because you had to get through these guys, right? And then they they realized, oh, we had an error in judgment. Uh, this thing really is important in a military context. So, so what I'm leading to with that is when I say that you were brought in and trained very, very quickly and you were trained to be a part of a given unit, right, you were typically given specific weapons, okay? Um, now, I can't say that you were given, uh, you know, uh, yumiya or the bow and arrow kind of stuff because of kujutsu. Uh, which became Kyudo, right? Anything with a do at the end of it uh, has, has a connection with Zen, and it's more of a meditative practice using a martial uh, format, right, as opposed to being a uh, a combat art, which would end with, uh, like, Jutsu, uh, things like that, right? So anyway, uh, but you might have, right? You might have been, you know, put into things, things where you might uh, have a, you know, a short sword or something as a backup, but you've got this, you know, with this this long bow and an arrow, and you're in with a whole group, right? And that's the function of this this unit, okay? So if you run out of arrows and, and the line is being overrun, then, okay, you can pull your short sword, long sword, or whatever, and you do things, but that's not what you're there for, okay? Uh, the Gyoko-Yu itself, one of the nine schools of the Bujinkan, they had units that uh, were kamikaze units, okay? Now, normally in the modern world, when we think of kamikaze, we think of, you know, somebody coming in with a zero and just dive bombing something because they're literally strapped to and sitting on a on a bomb. But the, the idea of the kamikaze predates World War II by a long shot. It goes way, way back, right? So the Gyokoryu had these kamikaze guys where you didn't have a whole lot, need to have a whole lot of sword skill, right? So they could give you uh, these swords that you may have come with one of your own, you may have come with two, whatever, uh, but they could load you up with these things. You had one in each hand in reverse grip. So the blades ran along your forearm, not the edge, just the, the spine of the blade, ran along the, the forearms with the boshi, the tip of the sword, pointing out past your elbow, right? And you kept these things behind you, and then when the when the charge was given, your line of kamikaze, right? Um, you're sacrificing yourself. What you're doing is rushing the enemy line with these two swords, and you're going to be slashing and stabbing and cutting until you can't anymore, until you're taken out yourself. Your job was to thin the enemy lines, okay? So, again, the, the ninja is supposed to be not operating on a battlefield unless they have no choice, unless your village and, and area is overrun and the battlefield has come to you. Uh, the ninja are typically operating as advisors. They're operating as spies. They're operating um, – in a, you know, in a stealth thing where they're sneaking in, gathering information, coming back out, or going in and poisoning a leader or something. Um, so very different, right? So the, uh, the, the comparison is like it's not even apples and oranges. It's uh, apples and motorcycle engines, right? It's just it's very different, okay? Is there crossover? Yes, of course, 
okay? But, and again, are we talking, what, what era are we talking about? What, uh, what um, uh, you know, is it wartime? Is it no, you know, is it, is it in between wars? Uh, is it, you know, a long period of peace? Okay, those kind of things, right? Remember the long term, long, the long period of peace, the hundred years of rule and enforced peace that the Tokugawa shogunate put in. Ironically, the ninja got him into power, got uh, Yasu Tokugawa into power uh, after the assassination of Oda Nobunaga. But um, uh, after that, it was that that really was the downfall and demise of all of the. Uh, the uh, let me turn my volume down here on this, uh, this thing, uh, but it was the it was the that, that enforced peace in that long period that really cut down on the need for what the ninjas' specialty was and what they were offering to um, to the military. Now some ended up crossing over and uh, making themselves available, right? Like uh, uh, Toda Sensei. Uh, uh, <laughs> Takamatsu says, um, is it grandfather? Either uncle or grandfather. Um, he actually taught sword technique to the military, to the government military services, okay, uh, until he saw the what was going on politically and all that and World War II was coming up, and he went, yeah, no, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with this. So, again, remember, a ninja is, it, is more free to choose their enemy and choose who they will align themselves with than uh, a samurai or a bushi, right? There are these conventions, there's this mindset like the, like the Yadi and the, and the uh, Naginata uh, and these pole arms being at the front, right? I mean, that belief system often gets in the way where the ninja's belief system is about accomplishing the mission. Um, so in the, from the ninja's history, right, um, things were invented and created to make the job easier to, uh, you know, to circumvent convention so that you had surprise on your side, all of these things, right? So, you know, all these, uh, all these cool tools and, and gadgets that we have, right, uh, came from that, that flexible mindset that the, that the accomplice of the mission was more important than anything else. Contrasted with the samurai bushi mindset that what was good for my great-great-grandfather uh, is good enough for me. So that's why they rebelled when, uh, the merchants were trying to take over, and they were buying up Western arms and coming in with rifles and and the equivalent of Gatlin guns and things like that, right? Um, they didn't pick up firearms and meet, uh, fight fire with fire. They were still trying to attack uh, and, and fight the, this kind of stuff with, um, uh, with swords, right? To die in battle is glory, right? That kind of thing. Almost a Spartan or a Centurion kind of idea. Anyway, so uh, that was for Roman. I don't know if he's on. I have to get back over here to my screens and take things out of uh, lecture mode. So let's see. All right, there we go. So I'm opening it up. Uh, any Anyone have any questions or comments about what I just covered there for Roman? Looks like I may have lost Jason. And of course, he was calling in from work. So uh, Josh, you have anything? Any questions, comments? Uh, I do have a question, but not, I don't know if it's related to this. Um, we have that expression, uh, Ipo Ikan. Yes. And uh, I was wondering if that 
I was trying to figure out, sort of, thinking about what that meant overall, and uh, I was wondering if that ties into this idea that you're going to, I don't know, figure out the, you're not going to, if your tools are limited, you're not going to just stop there, you're going to find something else, that kind of thing. Again, I'm making a stretch maybe, but... You're thinking of what? I'm sorry. I was thinking, I lost my is that... Oh, yeah, I'm in the car. But uh, if, if the two are related in any way, there's anything tying that expression with the, what you were talking about? Well, they're all related. Um, and I can talk about this here more in a, in a little bit. Everything's related. But um, what that's really pointing to is more of a, a guiding principle for uh, every part of every aspect of our lives. So Ninpoikan means the way of the ninja or the ninja's law, the ninja's way kind of thing. Um, the way of the ninja is the way of the universe, the way of naturalness. So Ikan is a contraction of Ichi, Kan, Ichi being one and Kan being uh, uh, like a universal. It's it's like a it's like a truth or um, it's a <laughs> It's just the right way to do things, right? So econ is a contraction of that. So what you're looking at is that the way the ninja is to come in, to, to come as close to natural and the way, you know, the scientific and natural world works. That doesn't mean we need to be cold left brains, but it just means, you know, nature works a certain way, cause and effect and, and all that stuff. And we are human, so, you know, there's all these things. Um, a, a flower doesn't, and this comes from the Fugakure school, a, a flower doesn't think about bending to get ready for an oncoming gust of wind, but when the wind touches it, it's flexible, so therefore it bends. Um, and it's not bending when there is no wind, right? It's only bending when there is. So a lot of these things kind of hint at the idea. So um, I guess it can contribute to that flexibility, but... Uh, the question is always, what's the best way? What's the most natural way? So that's when we start looking at, okay, if I'm going to affect somebody uh, and affect their perceptions and their psychology and, uh, you know, those kind of things, right? What's the best way? Where uh, the samurai thing was, you know, you just go freaking tearing in there and you do your thing. Now, the irony is that the samurai couldn't do things based on honor and code and all that stuff, right? So what they did was they hired ninja to do what they couldn't do. Somehow, I, I guess that's a workaround. I, I don't know. But um, so they, they, <laughs> they did the things they needed to do, uh, like, uh, what's his name, um, Takeda, Takeda Shingen, uh, in his uh, in his battle there uh, in the Nagano region and stuff with, um, uh, what's his name, Usui uh, Kenshin. Um, he actually founded, Takeda actually founded uh, at least two that I know of, but maybe even more, uh, ninja groups to, you know, they had his blessing, right, so to speak. But he formed these things to do very specific things, right? Uh, one was actually a, uh, a female network, right, that um, acted as courtesans, and they were actually mostly disguised as uh, what are known as Miko, which are uh, shrine attendants in Shinto shrines. And because people go to the shrines and they 
speak to the kami and whatever they interact with people and stuff like that it was a way for them to uh you know gather information and whatnot so um again you know uh, when i go back to the whole ninjutsu versus military martial arts kind of things we really it's it's, it's too open it would take too long because are we comparing uh, like martial skills you know against one another or are we talking about something completely different because um, it, it sometimes it's exactly the same and other times it's nothing alike, right? So anyway, but I'll come back and talk. I, I don't know. Did I cover enough about the Nimboycon for you? Yeah, no, that, that makes sense, yeah. Okay, perfect. So it's more of a guiding I was also, Yeah, I was also wondering, I, I don't, uh, if Roman meant uh, it's sort of like military combatives, sort of stuff that the modern day equivalent. I don't know if he was referring to that. Yeah, if, if in the question, Roman? like the military martial arts, and that's you know, because there's a I think that's another uh, movement too, teaching folks all that stuff. Oh, I I don't know. I don't know where the question came from. He himself is not military. Um, he's one of the black belts here at the school. So, um, so I don't. I, I, again, all I got was a one-liner. You know, uh, Nijisu versus martial, or military martial uh, training, semicolon, flexibility, uh, what was it? Let's go back and look at the, the thing again. Um, training time and flexibility, or length of time and flexibility of technique. So, um, it's, it, you know, um, I'm doing the best I can with, sorry, Roman, what is kind of a vague question. So, anyway, all right. Um, let me get back to you again. I just I need to move on to the next person, and then uh, I'll come back if you have another question. Okay, Josh? Sounds good. Thank okay, you. thanks. Okay, so um, I don't not seeing any questions or comments about anything other than what uh, Josh just popped on with. So uh, let, me, let me get over to the questions here. I'm not seeing anything unless let me refresh things. Doesn't often refresh all by itself. Uh, no, I don't see anything. Okay, so I'm going to assume that it's okay to move on. Let me see what time I'm under here. Okay, so we're good. Okay, so the next one, oh, I just lost my screen. Not my screen, but my notes. Okay, so uh, the next one, let's jump to the one from Chris. Again, Chris is another one of my in-house guys. He's in my Shinobi Kai program, which is what most people think they want to be doing when they're involved with Japan and, and the traditional stuff and all that. Um, and that's different than a general Budo Taijutsu class that I have for people that just want to learn effective self-defense, okay? So Chris's question is, uh, or the one that I'm extrapolating here to give him more based on a question that he had for our, our online training that we do, uh, was is about Hicho no Kamae, right? The, the, quote-unquote, flying bird posture, okay? And um, so this is one of those interesting things, and I'm, I'm, I want to use this as a good example of uh, what I call the problem with guessing as to what the past masters meant or to have learned from somebody else who guessed or whatever, right? Um, there's a saying that if you repeat a lie or you repeat, uh, uh, you know, an inaccuracy often enough, it becomes a truth, it just, and when I say truth, I mean it just becomes acceptable. It just becomes the standard way of translating things or whatever. But 
that doesn't make it so. And I've, I've used this in this, this uh, example in the past uh, about something that Lincoln, uh, our uh, 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, said when he was discussing something with a senator who was trying to just ram something through Congress. And um, he used this analogy of a dog, right? And some of you have already heard this, but for those who haven't, um, so it's a reminder for some and something new for somebody else. But what he said was, what he what he did was he asked the senator, um, how many long, how many legs does a dog have? And of course the senator said, well four, of course. And he said, okay, let's just say that the tail is a leg, right? Now how many legs does a dog have? And the senator kind of looked at him really weird and he said, well five. And Lincoln shook his head and he said, no sir, just because we call the tail a leg doesn't make it so. All right. So this is one of those things where um, whether we're doing Miko training or things that Hatsumi Sensei is pointing to, has pointed to along, uh, you know, along the way, we always validate our information. One, that's a trait of a good information gatherer, okay? Whether we're a police officer, investigator, or just somebody who's trying to gather information about this thing we say we want to master. We want to gather as much information as possible so we can compare one thing to another, and if we find inconsistencies, then we need to follow that line and, and talk to people and say, Okay, I've seen it this way, I've seen it this way. What, what's going on? And again, you cross-reference that information. So you're not easily lulled down, you know, the, the uh, red brick road or the yellow brick road or whatever, um, just because something had the word ninja attached to it, okay? But this uh, Hichilo Kamai comes from our Gyoko school. It's one of the Sanden Kamai, right? Sanden Kamai are, it's the Ichimonzi no Kamai, Jumonzi no Kamai, Hichilo no Kamai. And they're called Sanden because it points to this principle in the Gyoko-ryu of three and one, one and three. So we have three different, apparently different Kamai, but the Gyoko-ryu says they're all the same thing. Okay, so we'll, that's for a whole other other uh, uh, lesson, and this is a, that's a deep thing just with these, these first couple of Kamai. So when people just learn the forms, um, they're not even scratching the surface yet. They bumped up against the car but they haven't even left a mark, okay? So, uh, but again, here's this thing, right? So if you, uh, I've heard all kinds of translations for flying bird and why this kamai is called flying bird, why it's called hicho. Because another translation for hicho is escaping techniques. Okay, hicho, uh, hicho jutsu, hicho, uh, that kind of idea is about escaping, okay? Like a sudden, quick, you're out of there, right? Like a cut and run kind of thing, right? So are they the same? Are they not the same? What are they talking about? Because, again, we keep saying flying bird, right? But what happens is people take their their uh, other information or other knowledge that they have from some other realm, and they'll try to lay it over, or they'll look at this thing, and they'll do a good job of trying to, you know, process it. And Well, to me, I think that means well, okay, but is the tail a tail or is it a leg, right? Um, so just because we come up with a guess or we come up with what sounds like a decent theory, okay, doesn't mean it's right, right? doesn't mean that's what's being conveyed and that's what you're supposed to be learning. Once you learn the base thing, can you process it and look at it from a different direction? Sure, Hatsumi Sote does it all the time. But he does it from a, pers a perspective way above this solid foundation that um, that he's laying, okay? Think about the, the pyramid uh, symbol that's on the back of our U.S. Uh, $1 bills 
that's got this broad base foundation. And then it narrows as you keep going up because you're adding levels, but each level requires less and less to maintain and add to the stability and shape of the structure, okay? Until you get to the very top and you're not even at a pinnacle, this symbol, this pinnacle is an eye. It's this all-seeing eye, right? From this high perspective, but this solid foundation, we're able to translate things from multiple directions, okay? So we want to be careful with this, right? So what I want to do just quickly is to toss this thing out so that Chris has it and so that anybody that's working through this can work on Hicho. Well, of course, you have to work on it from a form base first because if you can't stay on balance in this position and kick and block and things like that without getting knocked over or you can't leap to the position, you can't roll uh, to and from the position, you can't drop your knees or your base knee and drop below something and keep operating without falling off balance, those kind of things. If you can't do those, then the rest of it doesn't matter, okay? So, uh, of course, you have to be able to do that. But the name isn't about the form. It's actually about timing, strategic and tactical timing, okay? Flying bird, the name, refers to uh, the act of a bird being attacked by a constrictor snake, okay? Well, how does this make any, why, you know, uh, does the bird suddenly go to one leg and, you know, do the whole karate kid crane thing? No, okay? We have to now, see, now we have to understand the nature of the attack. And, Josh, this might have been something that we could look at adding in because Ninpoi Khan, the way the ninja is the way of naturalist, the way of the universe and all that, we have to understand something broader. We have to understand that there are more variables to any given thing and then what's the nature of those things? What is natural, what's not natural? Like big, heavy attackers. You don't want to be hit by these guys because they're going to try to hit you with one shot and it's going to be done. But the nature of that attacker also is they have more mass to carry, so they tend to be slower, which is why they develop as a big wind-up, knock-you-out-with-one-shot kind of attacker. Where the small, wiry guy that's bouncing all over the place, right, he doesn't want to get hit because he can't take as many shots right? He is lighter and more squirrely, so he can be more, you know, bouncing around kind of thing, but his strikes, his individual strikes, aren't going to have as much juice behind him. So I might be willing to take a shot or three from this guy, right? As long as they're grazing shots or whatever, because there's not enough behind them uh, because he's, on, he's constantly on the move and he's a lighter guy, right? Where if it's a bigger guy, right, he naturally is armored, He's going to move slower. I don't want to get hit by this guy even once. That kind of, my tactics have to be different, okay? So I understand the nature of combat, my body against this other body, okay? So the nature of the combat and, and the nature of the techniques that I'm choosing or the techniques that I'm choosing are going to be chosen because of the nature of the advantages on each side, the disadvantages, and those kind of things, right? That's part of the Ninpoi Khan as well, right? That's part of just this whole naturalness not just the way we move our bodies, okay? So um, let me get back to this thing here, right? So understanding the nature of the attacker. So in this case, it's a constrictor snake, okay? And if you've ever had one or you watch your, you know, animal planet or uh, animal kingdom or whatever nature shows or whatever, um, my ex-wife actually owned two constrictor snakes. 
Uh, one was very, very nice, and she could feed this thing by uh, by hand. And the other one, yeah, you drop the mouse in and you back away because he would just go after it and often bang his head against the glass aquarium because he was he was more of a shotgun approach kind of um, snake than whatever. But the point here is that the constrictor snake is an opportunist, right? So they don't have fangs to poison the thing and then wait until it slows down and then ingest it, right? They actually have to outmaneuver this thing, right? So the first, stri well, the, the first strike is actually to just grab it, okay, and get their body around it, but it's just to catch it, right? Sometimes they luck out, and they're in the best position. They can just, just constrict it, and then it passes out or suffocates, and then they can ingest it, right? But more often than not, they're only catching it. So they reach out, they bite down on it, they wrap their body around it, but what ends up having to happen is they're sensing where the, where the bird is or where the prey is, and then they readjust their body. So they have to loosen up to readjust their body to come in at the best place in the best way, and then it's done. The idea with Hicho is that during that release to re-grab in a better way that the attacker has to do, in that moment, it's the moment that the bird can spread its wings and open up and create enough space that it can fly out of there, okay? And that's what Hicho is really about. Hicho is a, is a opportunistic, you have to wait until the last moment because you're in a disadvantaged position. In the scrolls of the Gyokoryu, there is a lesson that you never get caught on one foot. But the nature of human beings is we're bipeds, and we're on one foot more often than we're on two. Because anytime we're moving, right, the one foot is only on, in contact with the ground for microseconds, right? And then it's off to the next spot, but we're on one foot, okay? So the hecho being put in there is what to do if you're caught on one foot. Your leg could have been damaged and you're kind of resting it, um, anything like that, right? So in a disadvantaged position like this, it's not what you do, but the fact that you do it at the last second and in that moment where there's an opening available to you and you have to be able to move quickly from a disadvantaged position, okay? And then we could go on and talk about how anytime you're on one leg, I don't care if you're leaning up against a wall or you, you picked up a foot to scratch an itch near your ankle or whatever, anytime you're on one foot, you are in Hicho. Yes, we give you a formal model that was passed down, but we have to go beyond that, and we have to recognize that at the uh, at the high level, we're we're varying it, right? We're breaking the model. So that Shuhari model, at the shoe level, to copy to preserve, we're doing it exactly like we're supposed to be doing it. Okay, the high level, we start thinking about, okay, um, how many ways could I vary that, right? Um, I might uh, be stepping back into Kamai and, um, you know, moving my front foot uh, to do something and the attack comes in. I haven't replaced my foot, but i got to get my leg up in place to jam something or I have to be able to operate in that off-balance position. I might be, you know, whatever. And then we get to the, to the V, the, the transcend area, and that is the level of transmission where we recognize that anytime we are on one foot, we're in Hicho. So pick any of those things and work with it now. Okay, how would I operate from this? How would I, that kind of thing, right? So anyway, 
So again, there's this problem of guessing and theorizing without actually checking with a credible source. Okay? I've been guilty of it way back in the day and all that, but I built my ninja network that we're all supposed to have, right, that allows me access to people that I can ask a question to, right? So, and this is a very common problem, right? We all have it at different times because we've either taken something from somebody and we didn't validate the information. We just accepted it because it was a politically-based uh, decision, right? I like that person, therefore accept his lessons. I don't like that person, so anything they say is wrong, right? That kind of thing, right? So trust can be blinded, right? So this is a very common thing, um, and it blinds a lot of people, right? But that also creates a greater need to get somebody uh, you know, as a coach or a teacher or whatever that you can go to who has that information and knowledge. And this is not about coming to me or whatever. This is just a resource that I'm putting out. Um, it could be me, but it could be anybody that you're dealing with, right? So we want to have want to have somebody that, that knows what they're talking about and not just somebody who can regurgitate the lessons as they learn them, but actually has some experience behind them and actually has um, – uh, they've actually used things or they've spent more time focusing on or, or paying attention to you know, the nature of combat, the nature of, you know, based on other things that I've learned and, and know about these things than here. And then they've actually tested that, right? An untested theory is just that, right? It's a hypothesis. It could be an educated guess or it could just flat out be a guess, okay? So – um, and, and maybe maybe I think about this much more strongly because I am an ex uh, military uh, an ex police officer and uh, investigator, which means information gatherer, right? And in the world of law enforcement, you validate all pieces of evidence with two or three or more other pieces of evidence, so it's not just hearsay. It's not just uh, you know, something that leads you down a rabbit hole away from the actual guilty person and then you put the wrong person in jail. Validate all pieces of evidence from more than one direction or more than one source, right? So that's the cool thing about Nizuzu. We can do that, okay, um, as opposed to the stylistic kind of thing where you only validate the techniques you've learned um, from either that teacher or teachers within the same art. Right? I've had conversations with guys who are, top-level people in uh, Jeet Kune Do and a lot of different martial arts. And while the system is different, the, the strategies and, and tactics, you know, while what it looks like is different, the principles of warfare, are they're all the same, right? It's, it all comes down to timing, distancing, angling, cover, right? Uh, those kind of things, right? So anyway. All right, so hopefully that helped Chris. Was that helpful for anybody else? Anybody have any questions or comments on top of that one? All right, let me oh, – we're still in interactive, so uh, there you are. Josh is open there. Go ahead, sir. Josh, can you hear me? Uh, yes, sir. That's, that's oh, helpful. You Thank you. Okay. All right, any other questions or comments about what I just covered there for um, for Chris? Chris, if, when you listen to the recording, because he's not on today, when you listen to that, I hope it doesn't make your head uh, pop open. If it does, you can come to class and give me that same that same look. Right? It's okay. Right? Um, all right. I think that's it. So, uh, 
what time do we have? Oh, we're getting under the wire here. So uh, let's just do this very quickly. Josh, did you have any other questions uh, before I uh, – I need to see if I have time for my other thing. And I don't need to do that today. I can cue that for another uh, session. But uh, did you have any questions? I think I'm good for right now, sir. All right, fantastic. So let me see if I have on my notes. Let me put this back into lecture mode. Excellent. Yeah, here I am talking to myself, right? And I will answer because I don't believe that I don't believe that old adage that you know you can talk to yourself. You're only crazy if you answer. I think you're crazy if you stand in a room and you talk to anybody that will simply not answer you back. So I, I tend to answer myself. So uh, and Josh, you can evaluate that for whatever it means in your world. Um, where am I? Okay. So um, here's just a quick thing because I was I was I'm always reading and rereading the books that I have and the resources that I have. And Hudson uh, has pointed this out uh, many times. And, and when I uh, double check history things of different people that were known as ninja and all that, right? Um, there was you know history is filled with references where. Uh, either people were trained as ninja or picked up skills that we might associate with ninja. Doesn't mean that they were attached to a ninja family or officially learned it, uh, but it comes from this mindset of, right, anything that's kind of mixed like this, right, uh, must be ninja to them, okay? Uh, I see uh, Facebook pages and groups and all that where, uh, you know, people justify their way of doing things by saying, well, there are lots of ways, lots of different types of ninja. Yeah, but there's a common theme. Right? And it's not, I get to do whatever I want by mixing things together. Okay? The history books very clearly spell out, yeah. right? Um, some people were called a ninja from Iga or whatever, but they were just a freaking thief, right? Just because they dressed in a certain type of clothing or engaged in certain type of skill sets. And some people did leave the, the, you know, the ninja clans or whatever and went off and did their own thing because it was a period of peace and all that and they, could use their skills for other things, but we tend to, and the ninja families back in the day as well, tended to, you know, they were, they cut ties with that person, right? They cut associations because the person's using it for the wrong reasons, okay? And sometimes ninjutsu is contrasted with the samurai arts because of some kind of uh, either having or lack of having a, a set of moral and ethical codes, like the samurai was bound by these codes and things like that, so they could and couldn't do certain things. Uh, but the ninja didn't have anything like that, and so they could do whatever. And that's not true. The ninja had their own moral and ethical codes as well that had to do with the protection of society, protection of community, protection of the self, you know, family, that kind of thing, right? Same as most warriors, but the code was different. In a couple of pre, uh, recent classes, I've gone over some of those things, right? And if not on Kuden, then I've done it with my long-distance guys, but talking about the five admonitions, the five uh, Ninja Master's admonitions uh, that Toda-sensei had penned in 1891, right? Uh, there's several of these things, right? So just because they're not identical doesn't mean that the ninja had them and didn't have them, okay? So it's just we need to understand that it's those things as well as a specific minimum core set of lessons that were required for some, for a school to say that they were teaching Ninjutsu, for a person to say that they were, uh, you know, practicing Ninjutsu or, or a practicing, and they wouldn't have used the term ninja way back in those days anyway. They were shinobi no mono, 
and a lots of other names, but those names often identified them as a specific type of operative or only skilled in certain sets of things, usually information gathering, um, entry, you know, you know, those kind of things, right? Um, and on top of that, uh, we're coming at it from the approach of the Jonin, the high-level warrior philosopher, not what most people stay focused on, which is the gaining, right, the field operative, the low man, um, the guy that, you know, is doing the James Bond stuff and is putting his life at risk all the time and, you know, it's all about trickery and stealth and, and those kind of things, right? We have to remember that there are different types of Nidatu, but within a full family like the Togakure school and, and schools like that, there's the gaining, the low man, who was the operative. He was the guy that was sent out to do things, and that's the guy that it's just more interesting to make a movie about him, right? Because here he is, this paramilitary, mercenary-like guy, James Bond, MacGyver, uh, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger, commando kind of guy, going out to do something all by itself. That's just more interesting for an action movie, right? But then you had the tune-in, right, the middleman, uh, which are more like field commanders, who had to process information and needs for missions and all that and divvy them out to different operatives to get the right information back. And then there was the Jonin, the high man, the head of the organization, or Jonin, high person, right, uh, head of the organization, that they, for all intents and purposes, in public, they just looked like they were a well-to-do, classy, established person who had connections with, religious, political, everyday people, right? And they were the ones that determined what the family would support and what they wouldn't. And then that got passed down, you know, needs for information or follow-up or whatever got passed down to the tuning, who then, you know, assigned certain gaining to go and do things. So we're in the realms like that, and then these different families, again, these different schools might have only been started for a couple of months or for a given battle or whatever. So you know, Ryuha, they're not a Ryuha unless they've been around for a significant amount of time. You know, the Tugakure school was three generations in before it was even given a formal name and the body of knowledge was structured, right? So different stuff, right? Uh, but just because somebody was called, uh, here's that leg tail thing again, just because they were called a ninja and they were caught and killed or whatever, uh, burglary already goes against the whole moral and ethical codes. You're not allowed to use this stuff for personal gain in that realm. You're not allowed to use it to hurt just everyday civilians and stuff like that. It's, it's part of the code, okay? Part of one of the codes, anyway. Um, uh, but anyway, right, we, we want to pay attention to this because it's now in fashion again for people to start up all kinds of ninja pages and, and whatever and create what they think is uh, needed to, but really what they did was they mixed karate for striking and kicking with aikido for joint locks and throws, with judo for more throws, with, uh, you know, whatever, right? With some will of survival stuff, with whatever. Um, and it's not that you can't do that. You can do whatever you want. You can call something whatever you want, right? Does it still make it that? I don't know. To me, no. Because without the guiding principles, nothing else is there. You're just a thug with skills, uh, or you have the potential to be, right? So what's to stop you from using it for entirely personal reasons? Nothing. 
right? which is why we start with the code first, which is why the 18 skills of the ninja in the Togakure school begin with the, with the training area of Seishin Teki, right? or Seishin Teki Kyoyo, personal clarity, uh, self-development, whatever you want to call that, it starts there because you need to have this solid moral and ethical grounding for why you will act and under what conditions you will act and for what reasons, okay? So, and who you will help and all that, all that clarity, right? Then we can start talking about skills because without that, putting skills into people's hands is like handing a loaded gun to a baby, right? So don't confuse that that I'm calling all these other guys that run these groups babies, but there's a lot of just want to just be careful that you don't fall for the whole ninja game, right? Um, and also, if you're trying to attract people to your training and training groups, sometimes no one did not use the term at all because what they're learning doesn't matter as much to them as the fact that you're going to teach them how to handle things that they already see as a problem and would it scares them now and the bad guy's not even coming at them, right? Then you can ease that in. You can start with a little bit of history things. This martial art comes from a time when, right? And while, you know, the samurai typically did this, this group, kind of focused on, you know, having to deal against overwhelming attacks and all that, right? And originally they were called Shinobi no Mono, right? So you can go with that. And then you can break the whole, um, you know, uh, more of a modern ter term that you might be used to uh, is ninja. But remember, see, I, I, I came at it from this direction because I didn't want you to confuse ninja with turtles or some other wild, freaky, uh, you know, movie kind of thing, right? So that's part of skillful means and that's part of uh, just understanding how to approach and, and give a student what they need or what they want while, you know, keeping them around long enough to, to give them what they need. Okay. So anyway, um, thinking and living like a ninja is way different than just picking up some skill sets that ninja used. It's like just because you learn to use a samurai sword doesn't make you a samurai. Okay. All right, so uh, one last call for questions or comments about that or anything else, and then we will need to close this down before we get booted. So let me take this out. Uh, there we go, in interactive mode. So any last-minute questions or comments about anything? Josh, since you're on live, you get to go first. Uh, I will save my questions for next week. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Well, be safe and don't be staring at your phone while you're driving. <laughs> All right. Anybody else? Let's see. Uh, dun, 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 dun. Okay. Tim says that was helpful. Okay. Awesome. Okay, guys. So keep the questions coming. Um, let's see. Tom, I will send an email to you and we can get whatever it is uh, fixed here for the problem you were having on the uh, website. I'm not sure why that um, why that occurred, but we'll we'll get taken care of. Um, so, uh, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up. Don't forget, fall camp is coming up in October 20, uh, yeah, 2021st with the closed session for instructors and whatnot on um, Friday evening, the 19th, and then uh, I will be in Knightstown, Indiana, uh, October or November. I'm sorry, 16th and 17th. So, if you can make it out, that'd be really great. And uh, also, if you uh, want to discuss uh, how to host something in your area, uh, which is a great way to be really, really greedy and make sure that the topics that are being taught is exactly what you want to be learning 
and then of course everybody gets the benefit of learning that too but you don't have to play roulette and you know just kind of go, go it, it, it takes away the the issue of going to training because you want to train but the topics have already been selected so okay cool I'll, I'll learn that right that's that, that's one kind of mindset and then there's the other mindset that knows look I need to learn this I want to get better at this and I'm really interested in that topic um, how do I even go about starting right so when you host an event right you can one of the questions I'm going to ask is what do you want what do you want taught right so you can do those things right that's what I did when I was stationed in Germany and I could only get away from the military uh, so often during a year and get back here to train and all that what I would do is I would fly Shidoshi Malmstrom to Germany host a seminar well I had to host a seminar first fly him to Germany right topics are already picked between he and I topics were picked he would pick things that he knew I needed to work on and I would pick things that I was interested in and then when we published uh, when we promoted the program or the, the seminar um, we just told people what was being taught and they knew that's what they were going to learn when they came in but in his words this is a way for me to be greedy and tailor the training to exactly what it is that I want to be working on okay doesn't take as long right shortens the curve okay that's it keep the questions coming uh, I'll talk to everybody again uh, what hopefully next week as long as everything is going well and uh, yeah that's it so thanks for joining in everybody knows how to contact us uh, you can look for Kuden on uh, iTunes on Google Play on Stitcher T uh, Stitcher radio a bunch of things out there uh, as well as on the page at the on the uh, website uh, modern ninja warrior.com forward slash uh, Kuden podcast episodes make sure you put the dash or the hyphen in between each of those so Kuden podcast episodes you can um, uh, subscribe to the list so you get information up front and extra information as we send it out uh, and you have access to the entire library of uh, all the past episodes okay so that's it we'll talk to you again next time on Kuden thank you for listening to Kuden the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news interviews techniques and history for more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.